circa 1990. It's your boy Yvonne. And I'm LaDante. We are the founders and managing partners of New Age Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in dope tech startups founded and led by black and Latino entrepreneurs. We've known each other for mm, 10 years now. And over the last decade, we've made it through college. We turned up, we traveled, survived corporate America, and started a couple companies together, ultimately leading us to where we are today. New Age Capital is the culmination of our passion for entrepreneurship, coupled with our deep frustration with the lack of venture capital invested in Black and Latino communities. Also, there was really no venture brand out there that connected with us on a cultural and interpersonal level, so we decided to create something dope that was authentic to our lifestyles. Little did we know, raising a fund is hard as No, but seriously though, raising a fund? It's hard as f But we still out here though. So on our journey to build a new age capital, we decided to highlight some of the amazing entrepreneurs we met along the way. This is Chopping It Up. Today, we're talking to Kobe Wu, founder and CEO of Visual. Visual is a physical to mobile app platform that leverages vacant storefront windows and turns them into smart billboards using computer vision and mobile proximity technologies, thus allowing advertisers to directly connect with their consumers as they move along their journey. Kobe has deep experience in the creative branding, strategy, and marketing space, as she was previously the SVP for strategy and creative for Sean Combs Enterprises. Needless to say, she definitely knows what's up. Now, let's take a look at the ad tech industry. The beginnings of the ad tech industry start with the first web banner in 1994, which was an ad by AT&T. Cookies enabled companies to track user behavior, and through JavaScript, we were introduced to pop-ups. In the 2000s, Google introduced AdWords with the pay-per-click pricing structure, which back then charged advertisers 5 cents to 25 cents per click. Fast forward to today, where Facebook and Google have some of the largest market shares in the ad tech landscape. It is forcing individuals to be creative and to develop better experiences in the physical world. John Anderson, you can use a Guinness right about now. Let's take a look at how Kobe and her Visual team are bridging the gap between advertisers and property owners. So we have a Kobe in the building here with us today. Um, you know, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, founder, uh, CEO of Visual, a great new startup here in New York. Um, you know, thanks for joining us on our inaugural uh, season of Chopping It Up. I'm excited. Uh, you know, we're going to get into a lot of things, but we first want to start off by asking, you know, who is Kobe? Like, what do you <laughs> want the world to know about you? And, you know, where tell us a little from? bit about yourself, where you're from, and ultimately what led you into, you know, coming down this crazy path. Okay. Well, yeah, because you do have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> Jesus. Um, I'm from San Francisco. Okay. I was born here in New York, but I was raised in San Francisco, so I'm a California girl. And then I spent a long amount of time in LA. So very California, kind of living in and around the music business, entertainment space for many years. And then I went to architecture school at UC Berkeley. And then I went to Georgia Tech and I got a master's in construction management and that's what I thought I was gonna do. Yep. But then I took my gap year, I guess, quote unquote, a little bit late and I started, I went out and traveled for a while after, after my master's and when I came back, I was like, I'm going into the music business. <laughs> and everybody in my family was like, wait, what? <laughs> we spent all this money on the education, but I found that that was really like 
those were my people. They were like creatives and they were business folks and they were expressive and it was, those were my people. And I did that for many years and realized though, probably, you know what, in 2000, that the music industry was spinning. You know, Napster came out, we were like, what in the world? And then, you know, there were these other things that were happening, iTunes, we were like, what? How does it, how is it in the thing? And then, you know, it was just, you know, time to move on. Right. I a friend of mine used to download a lot of music on something called LimeWire. That kind of stuff for free. <laughs> yes, yes. I've, I've heard of. I've heard of. Does his name start with an I and with the last name? I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'd rather not. <laughs> but yeah, the music business was great. You know, it had its. Um, it had a. It, it was a lot going on, right? It was like hip hop was huge, yeah. huge. It was nothing we could do wrong culturally. So I was lucky enough to start managing some amazing artists. And when I was managing artists, <clears throat> you know, we were able to do some, what we just called brand sponsorship or endorsement deals. They weren't really called partnerships yet or strategic partnerships yet. Cause it was just kind of like, I'm gonna go get a deal. I'm gonna go right, see if somebody, right, will, right, you know, right. it was one of those, just, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we just figured it out. And um, so I got to get a taste of working with brands. You know, Pepsi was one of my artist um, sponsors. We did a commercial. Then the artist ended up in um, a movie. Like, oh, wow. yeah, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, we're on a set with, uh, for training day. We were on a training day oh, set. Wow. And we were on the set with uh, Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. And I was like, that's. Denzel. <laughs> but you know, when you start talking to people and about their journey, you just realize it's just one deal after another. Yeah. Right? You, I mean, you start taking off the celebrity and you're just being like, this is what I really like. And I really started finding I like deals and like yeah. the structure of deals and like why that deal is better than that deal is because maybe the artist is more, you know, into it or maybe has more of a cultural relevance for that brand. Anyway, I'm kind of going into this weird ethereal conversation about it, but I've always, that helped me establish what I was gonna do working with agencies and brands. And I basically took the leap out of the music business where I was dealing with artists proper and helping brands connect with artists and vice versa, like making true authentic connections. So generally, I mean, people say the music industry is hard to get into. And after taking a year off, how did you find your entryway? Like, how did you find that door that you were able to go through and actually start developing these relationships and even how did you get to and then from there how did you get to work with artists and then start building doing these brand partnerships yeah relationships? like how did that what were the steps from that so I knew a guy who was really just kind of nice about it knew that I had went to architecture school kind of knew I was looking out the window like I wasn't really focused on architecture and engineering even though it's a great career track like I should have just focused right I would be I'd probably be like an amazing architect right now but he was like, if you want to do the music business, I know some folk. And he introduced me to a gentleman named Mark Prasad. And Mark was part of the Prasad Brothers here in New York, which at the time, I didn't know who they were because I'm a California girl, right? Yeah. But they threw parties. And they had these big parties. The Prasad Brothers had these big parties with like Tanqueray and like they would have them all over the country. And we were like, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Mark was running Quest Records. And Quest Records was owned by Quincy Jones, and he let me be his intern. Oh, so here wow. I am with a master's degree, <laughs> right? But I went ahead and took an internship at a record label, and 
I remember my first job, my first meeting with him, he would close the door and he was like, okay, so what's your next job? And he kind of taught me in the music business in particular, as soon as you get a job, you need to have the vision to think about what you're gonna do next because the world is yours. You can figure out what you wanna do, but you have to work to get there. Yeah. And so it literally was one introduction to a guy that was kind enough to say, hey, she's smart enough to get a master's degree. I'm sure she could be my intern, right? Yeah, and being in the label, I had too many ideas and I wasn't probably that um, structured <laughs> or disciplined enough to sit in an office and deal with the things that the different department heads would throw at a young- Corporate person. stuff, yeah. The corporate stuff, exactly. So I said, I better go before I get fired. <laughs> and so I ended up, I took the, you know, it's probably a very non-traditional route, but I ended up managing a baby artist who's not a baby anymore, obviously, but she was a new artist who, her name is Cy Smith. She's now a jazz artist. But at the time she was kind of doing this, God, really amazing music, like Neo Soul at what we called Neil Soul at the what time, that, right? 2001, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, the yeah. late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, yeah. but it was like, you know, Questlove, Erica Badu, Common, yeah, all right, those yeah, guys, yeah. they were just oh, bubbling. They were just kind of They were really up. starting to get Right, yeah. and, and Cy was in that ilk, yeah. but she got a deal and at, at Hollywood Records, and we were able to parlay that. And Cy was a, is, is, not was, is a great singer, and she ended up singing background for Macy Gray. Right, just musicians, good musicians end up in the studio together. And it, it doesn't even have to be like a setup situation. You just all of a sudden, like, oh my God, you know, you're in the studio. But we didn't know who Macy Gray was. I didn't really, you know, she's a new artist also. She came out and she was a huge artist, right? The deal with Macy, her management, <laughs> this is how my life was. Her management decided to go run Capitol Records. He was a big super manager named Andy Slater. He ended up going to run a record label. And I was one standing there. And she asked me, she goes, well, I know you're working with Cy, but you think you, think you can help me out while you know, Andy's going through his transition? And I was like, okay, I, I don't know what, what this means. entails. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, sure. But I just did it. Next thing you know, we're at the Grammys. <laughs> we're like touring wow. tours. She catapulted. So, you know, it was kind of this serendipitous experience for me. No real experience in the music business, no real experience doing anything really, but this is, that's how we got it going. You know, and made somebody like Cy, who's super talented, who ends up singing background for Macy, singing background for Whitney Houston, singing background for all these amazing artists and in jam sessions and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you just ride in the wave with an amazing artist and just make sure the deals go well, right? Macy was the same way. We ended up working with some amazing talent and, you know, I don't know how we're talking about music business when I'm talking about visual, but that's who I am. You know, it kind of just happens that way, you know, and music business isn't easy to get into. I don't, I don't know what it's like now. It just feels very different the way people are in the music business and how they get there, but it's, um, it's a different time, right. but it's also really interesting to watch how music and tech are fusing together. So what was that thing that triggered in you that were like that, you know, you were like, you know what, I don't I'm not even going to care what anybody thinks about this yeah. or what their opinion is going to be. 
And then I'm not like in my family and in my life. And I'm also not going to care about anybody's opinion in this industry who's gone to it in a certain route. Yeah. And I'm just going to go and do it. Like, what was that? Pro like, were you sitting on a beach in Tahiti and like. <laughs> that OK, well, the real <laughs> I wish it was that fabulous, but, I, but it was sort of fabulous. I was in Australia. Ah, OK. And I would frequent, I had no money, right? I was just kind of humping around oh, in right. Australia, you know, yeah. like this is an amazing trip. I'm like 20, or my early 20s or whatever. And I am at a coffee shop every day because that's where I hung out. And I would just sit and wait for, you know, like what am I gonna do today? You know, <laughs> it was like strange wanderlust type behavior. And I'm sitting in the coffee shop and there's this other guy who comes to the coffee shop every day, another black man. And I noticed him because in Australia, there's not a lot of, black folks, right. <laughs> especially in Sydney. Mm -hmm. okay. And um, he would, he, you know, see maybe about a week or so, we just kind of kept seeing each other, hey, what's up, you know, whatever, and that would be it. Eventually, he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from San Francisco. And he had an accent, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from London. And he, we would start talking about anything cultural. He was like, what brings you here? How are, you know, he was probably a little bit older than me. He was like, what brings you here? What are you doing here? And I was like, I'm just trying to, I'm kind of just trying to figure it out. I think my mother and my grandmother and all those guys are like, what is she doing? <laughs> like, bring it back. But um, we got into a, a nice discussion about um, hip hop in London. And culturally, he, we started arguing about black people and racism, <laughs> the differences between the US and, and London the UK, and yeah. the UK and how people perceive black folks in both sides. He's like, you guys are just stupid. Like the way you guys just behave. And I was just like, what? It was so <laughs> weird. And I couldn't, I was like, but you do realize you're black, right? Like I was, right. I didn't understand where he was coming from. Anyway, we had these great conversations about culture and race, and then he, we started having a conversation about music. I didn't know who this guy was. Come to find out he worked for a management company that managed Jamiroquai. Do you remember this band, Jamiroquai? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you were like, who are these white boys who sing like this, right, and have this body? But I knew that, and they had massive attack, and they had a bunch of other artists that I was like, what, who? And I don't think he was a celebrity manager. I think he was just a guy who works at the management company. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, you know, I don't like your opinion, but you have one and you should figure it out. And you should try to maybe try the music business. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then when I came back to the States, I was talking to my friend and he was like, yo, if you want to be in the music business, I know some guys. Wow. Enter. Yeah, and that was, that was it. What was, the, what was that thing in you that said, you know what, I can actually start my own company? Entrepreneurship for me didn't really have a name. When I became an entrepreneur, it was kind of out of necessity. I needed a job. So it was like I needed a hustle. And the hustle was I can, pull, I can produce an event. I can produce a lot of things. Yeah. I can pull anything together. And I can pull a brand together and I can say, hey, Outcast, you're amazing. And you're nominated for like 100 Grammys. Can you let me produce your party? And then the word got out that I was producing a party and then brands started coming. And I was like, what do you want to do with an outcast party? All they want is Hennessy, right? That's all they want. But it actually, Levi's came to the table. I'll tell you this, this is crazy. Levi's came to the table and said, um, we have this new artist 
and we have a really great idea. Sherry Timmons, who ran the culture branding for Levi's, said, we have a really great idea for your outcast party. This artist can create something special at your party. And I was like, what, what, at the party? Yeah. Like, it's a party, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> and the artist turned out to be this guy that no one had heard of named Shepard Ferry. Wow. Right? <laughs> Shepard Ferry wanted to spray paint Wow. The guy's faces on oh, 501 pairs of 501 jeans wow. and give them away at the party. I say, like, oh, okay, well, what is it going to look like? You know, I was just skeptical. I was like, is it going to be great? Is it going to be dope? And it was you amazing. It was, right, right, right. <laughs> it was amazing. And so I still have my jeans and they don't even fit. They're like huge. But I was like, I'm taking them. It's amazing. Oh, it's a piece of art. Yeah, yeah it's a piece of art. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's the kind of thing that just kind of happens, right? And I think that once I did that, that became like a calling card for other people to say, hey, can you help me do that for Janet's new album that's coming out? Can you do that? Virgin Records said, can you do that for us? And I was like, we can try. You know, let's see what we can pull together. That's entrepreneurship for me. It just kind of said, all right, let's do this. Let's see what we, and how much are you gonna pay me? Right. That right. was entrepreneurship, no, right? right? It wasn't until moons later when I was like through the agency business for a while and realized that I'm not great taking direction from other people and I have to set up my own Sounds thing, familiar. right? If you're not good at that and you can't sit still and like do what they want you to do only, <laughs> you need to go do your own thing. That's real, that's real. So, so ultimately, what was that thing, I guess, right before Visual that led you into like, all right, you know what? This might be officially the time for me to part ways and yeah. start a new idea, or did the Visual idea happen before you No, no. Prior? So I was working, you know, career, fast forward a couple more years, I'm like working, I worked for different agencies, Cornerstone being one of them, right around the corner from here. Um, great agency. And my bosses were very um, supportive when it was time for me to leave. And there was a few things going on in my life. I had a little boy, yeah. you know. It wasn't like I could be out running events for an agency anymore. I, ha I had a different life now, right? There was that. And then I decided I would consult with a lot of brands and agencies for a while, set it up where I would get a, you know, I'd get an EIN number. I would get organized and set it myself up. But it wasn't, an, I, I decided at a certain point um, to go back in and I ended up working for Sean Combs and I ran strategy for his brands. And while I'm working with, you know, Combs Enterprises, I'm like at Stern at NYU, working on my MBA. And while I was there, I entered a competition the Entrepreneur's Challenge. And the Entrepreneur's Challenge was the idea for visual. And uh, we just okay. work, crunch through that. It's an eight month long challenge. You crunch through the business plan, you crunch through what the numbers are, you crunch through all kinds of stuff through the eight months while I'm working on my MBA, while I'm working full time, while I have my family. And then upon the end of the competition, I hope I'm saying this clearly, but uh, you know, the sequence was at the end of the competition, it was the end of my degree also, I was graduating. Mm -hmm. And the mentors and advisors for the competition actually said, are you gonna do this? Because if you can do this, if it's you, Kobe, you can probably make this go. Right. And I was like, really? 
I'm thinking I'm gonna be a CMO at Viacom and fix that. You know, I'm thinking I'm gonna go work for a company. And, and, then, and then I was like, why am I gonna go fix somebody else's company? Why don't I just do my own? I got this little boy who needs a future. Why don't I just do that? <laughs> so I took the leap, left Combs, graduated, focused, spent the summer working on revising the plan, getting an actual pilot together, trying to figure out is there really a market, using all of my MBA stuff, right? And then here we are. Can you talk to us a little bit about the baseline of what Visual is, what you all do, yeah. um, you know, and ultimately what problem you're trying to solve? Visual in, you know, quick elevator pitch version of Visual, it's um, for brands and for landlords. You take a brand who needs real visibility and metrics and landlords who have a lot of vacancies and need some incremental money, and I fuse them together in its visual. So we take vacant storefront windows, put advertising in them, and then I have computer vision technology and geofencing that counts the number of people walking by for real metrics and attribution, if you will. And but the it sounds very technological. What were the like? How did you even get that started? What, I mean, that requires cameras and things. Like, what was the process of even doing that? Yeah. So. I come from marketing, so I knew that most advertising, it kind of came from me knowing that when we buy advertising, when we buy media, we don't really know what we're gonna get. It's an intangible no data. thing, mm -hmm. right? The media buying companies will tell you, you're gonna get 600,000 impressions a day or whatever they tell you. But I don't know if that's true, right? And I would sit at my desk and be like, mm-hmm, okay. Well, I want, you know, a billion. Like, let's just see what happens. So I said, let's figure out how to do this, right? And how do we get some real metrics behind it? And the computer vision part, like, I'm not a technical founder. I'm not a technology founder. I happen to have a technology company, but it's rooted in me just asking a ton of questions. So I was like, how can we do this? And, you know, we tried a couple of different things to start. Like, you should have seen me. I was in there with a nanny cam like on a ladder with one foot up, like, eh, you know, falling <laughs> off the thing, but you try a camera that you have, you know, that's just sitting up there. How do you, and then how do we know how many people are walking by, right? And then I did some research, found out, oh, there's this thing called computer vision that can do that, facial recognition that can do that. Put some words behind it, and then you find the right scientist to help you build it. And then it took some time, I mean, trust, you know, but I ended up, my initial pilot was with a security um, system like security cameras you need a security security systems are basically telling you who's in front of your building or window or whatever parking lot or whatever and um, the difference between what I'm doing and what security is doing is security records because you can you know roll back and look at the footage you can't do that with visual we're just counting when someone enters into a zone and that's important because, you know, all of the, you know, recording is a privacy issue, right? Um, but it was really just, to answer your question, just kind of crunching through, like, what people want to know. And I think we're still asking that question, like, what do you want to know? Sure, you want to know how many people walk by a window? Great. But it might not be just who's in front of the window who actually is impacted by the image in the window. It could be somebody down the street. It could be somebody across the street. It could be somebody two blocks away after they saw it and it was in their subconscious, they're like, did I just see a Nike ad? You know, and they are willing to go and do something else. So we, you know, kind of built through what that infrastructure is 
And the computer vision was just a piece of it. And I found that as a marketer, I wanted a little bit more. So I was like, what would, if I was working with Puff on this, he'd want to take that end of the window and put it on your mobile device. He'd want you to be able to buy right there. He'd want that window to come to life. Like that's what people want. That's what brand marketers want. And so I said, how do we deliver that? And that's really the kind of key questions that I ask, all my, ask myself all the time around how to evolve the tech. And you know, we keep doing that and trying to find the right partners to help do even cooler stuff. I think the, the holy grail would be to get like LeBron and Uninterrupted, that kind right. of maverick and those guys to say, hey, we don't, you know, when you put a phone up to that window, the artwork comes to life in your space or on your phone. So you spoke about being a non-technical founder, and I think probably the majority of founders tend to be out there. Yeah. Um, what was your process for getting the team together, or getting the right people on board, recruiting people you know, yeah. that had those skills um, to see your vision and really join you on your mission in building this out? So like one of the things that I have with anybody I meet is whether they understand what we do or not is like their curiosity. So number one, Will you help us come hook or crook, <laughs> get the answer that we want, right? And not just take no, but take why not, you know, or something like that, right? So that's one. And then two, the skill sets, you know, you gotta have a curiosity and or, you know, enough question, enough to know what you don't know and enough to know what you wanna find out. So my team is small but mighty, I have, a real estate director who has never done a marketplace or built a marketplace before. Um, I have media sales consultants who have no idea any, about real estate in the capacity that we're trying to build. But what they're willing to do is work together and argue without crying or quitting, right? <laughs> argue to build something that works. And that's kind of like, my team, you know, that's really it. I think there's, there's three of us, and then I have outside folks that come, you know, and, and help on a contractual level. I have interns, but that's it. What was the process in coming up with the business plan? Um, you, oh, I guess, I mean, you all did that in the program in the, at yeah. NYU. Did it change from there? Yeah. Like, so, well, yeah, what was the first kind yeah. of iteration of Visual, and then kind of what did it kind of graduate to? Yeah, so the first version of Visual, it was called Wall Talk when I was in, at, in business school. And it was just a platform for, brand, for, for storefronts to be found. We were gonna create a marketplace, no tech involved. Just find, you want a marketplace? You want a window? Get, come get it, <laughs> you know what I mean? You have a window, put it up here. And that was it. I found a lot of the business plan just came from like what things cost, <laughs> right? that's, that's what, what does it cost? And so, okay, we're gonna adjust the plan accordingly. But you know, I think that, you know, with every iteration, and I think that business plan is something else that people feel like it's a thing that you make and you never touch again, but it constantly evolves. It's a living organism. Yeah, it just constantly changes. Like I'm not gonna do, you know, 10 markets right off the bat, I'm gonna do one. You know, and that was another thing that impacted my business plan quite a bit. Like, how are we starting? Are we gonna start with one city, five buildings in one city, and sell the heck out of those? Will brands buy that, right? And then if not, what, are the, what do they need to do it? And I found out in my case, because you have to ask a ton of questions 
of, of potential users, they want more options. You know, they're not going to do something just because you tell them to do it. They're going to, they want their options to make the decision themselves. So we um, kept evolving that like, okay, so what does it take to get a hundred properties? Who do I need in place to make that happen? How, that's a line item, <laughs> right? And then that, and then how long does it take to get those hundred properties? So how much do I have to spend before I start getting? And that's really like how we had to think it through. You know, a big part of the business, one side of the marketplace is the real estate side. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, me coming from that world as well, knowing what's happening and the changing of real estate, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the reimagining of real estate space and what's happening with real estate tech. Um, and the friction with a lot of real estate owners still yeah. not wanting to implement those things. How has it been bringing that side of the marketplace on board? You know, and I guess what's the arrangement with them? Are you paying them like a monthly fee? Or are you splitting revenue? And how mm -hmm. receptive have they been? You know, to having this new type of technology mm -hmm. implemented in their properties that they've never had before. I found that a lot of um, real estate folks like to talk to people like themselves, right? So, what are you? How are? You, what are you bringing to me? How do I do this? Um, and because I'm not part of the quote-unquote family. Uh, my interests, or their interests with me would be how much money can you bring and when? And I'm not interested in the data. I'm interested in the money. That's, that's how it started. I think now we've evolved a little bit and they're like, what other kind of, what kind of data do you have that we can use? Because what they're finding now is the data that we're able to provide, which is traffic, how many, you know, if it's a male or female walking by, peak hours of the day, whether they're, you know, responding positively or, you know, negatively, um, approximate age, and it gives them basic demo stuff that otherwise they'd have to pay for, but we can give it to them inherently with a campaign. So there's a value there that, um, you know, a lot of landlords are starting to say, hey, that might be kind of cool. Maybe we can offer that with our brokerage, you know, relationships right. and find some scale there. We do rev share with the landlords that makes it palatable for them and palatable for visual. And um, I think they're finding that the money sometimes is exactly what they want, sometimes it's a little below what they want, but what they're also finding is, and what I've had to communicate time and time again is as, you know, you can say you want $100,000 for your window. I can list it at that, it will not move. Right. But I can tell you, this is really about what the market will bear. Right. right? I said, if you have, and they understand that, I, but I, mean, I start speaking to them in real estate yeah. language. Like you, you can say you want twenty billion dollars for your apartment on Fifth Avenue, but you might not get it. You right. might get, you know, ten million or something like that. Whatever it is, and and so we have applied that theory to the way we approach our media rates, and the media rates are then shared with the landlord. How did you all start picking? Um, well, of course, you're in New York. So I, ideally, New York would be the first place to go. But where, how did you start thinking about branching out of New York, and what were the, like the what are the major cities that would work? Yeah, for demand, New York? demand makes that call. So like I get, <clears throat> whenever we get inquiries from brands, it's usually for New York and L.A. Okay. Right off the top, but now we're starting to see interest from other markets like Chicago, Atlanta, Miami. Um, people want locations in Seattle. Um, it's hard for us to focus on all that. Right, <clears throat> we're just a small but mighty team, so there's a couple things we're doing to kind of put guardrails around that, like roll out market to market strategically, but also look at owners with large portfolios, so that 
if we get like a big company that has a national or even global portfolio, check, we're done, right. you know? And we have something to offer our clients. Let's sift over to now more of the funding side. We've been chatting about this a little bit, but as you said, you're a new entrepreneur, new yeah. to this whole world, and have now, you know, realized, all right, you're gonna eventually need some, some equity funding to actually expand your business yeah. at some point. How has that process been? Being new to it, what have some of your challenges been? Um, you know, what, what do you like, like what do you not like? Give us the real. Fun, yeah. Fundraising is, is um, it's scary. It's kind of scary because you're putting yourself out there and you hear things. In the very beginning when I first started Visual in its you know, current format, I went out and met like, I don't know, maybe 20 angel investors. And I didn't have anything but a deck. And all of them said, you need traction. And I didn't Angel investors are saying that. Angels. Angels would say, I need traction. And I took it and I was like, all right, well, we gotta go get traction. We gotta go get traction. We gotta go find stuff. And then I started, you know, getting into an ecosystem of women entrepreneurs and then black founder entrepreneurs. And I started realizing that, oh, they're just giving me the okie doke. There's a lot of who get you know funding with you know an idea or a deck or yeah, not even a deck you know like right. messing up right. yeah I was like wow okay so this is real this is a real thing that we have to face you know but okay I'll see what we can do you know the first year we weren't we didn't make any money but you know we were able to um, solidify a pilot you know a, a pilot program or case study with Apple Music First campaign wow. ever. Yeah, first campaign, and I was like, okay. But here's the thing. Let's go back. Remember, I was in the music business. I have these people. So now it's like all of my relationships kind of came to fruition. That world, yeah. Right, and I was like, wow. And it's music and tech in one thing. Let's do it. And it wasn't like they gave me a bonus. It wasn't like they were like, okay, Kobe, let's just do this. It was like they put me through it. They were like, we want New York, LA, and London. I was like, guys, I'm new. I just have New York. and. But anyway, we pulled it off and, and they said it's a non-starter if you don't get London. So, true to music industry, you know, hustle, I went out and I got London. <laughs> I went out and got locations hey. for London and said, here you go. That's awesome. We're man. good. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that I think, you know, even after closing that, sending that case study out to investors and saying, this is what, this, this is what Visual is now. Here's a tangible example for you to experience. They still ask questions. You know, well, is it scalable? How many more of these? Is Apple gonna repeat? And, I, and, and at this point, I'm not even worried about whether or not I'm a woman founder, black founder. You know, it's just, I, this is just the grind I have. This is just the deal I'm, de the, the, the hand I'm dealt. And then um, I pitched at Black Women Talk Tech yeah. um, earlier awesome this year. Pitch, by yeah, the way. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah. I was, for whatever reason, that, energy like really helped you know like something about me whatever I did practicing leading up to it you know and whatever worked so pitched at black women talk tech one and the community that was in the audience was like we, we love you what do you want to do and I was like really and then the 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 investment community 
started raising their hand and saying, let's, let's talk about what you have to offer. It's not a cakewalk. I'm not done by any stretch of the imagination, but I have found that that first investment from winning that pitch from Hillman or from Black Woman Talk Tech, but Hillman was, you know, funded the grant, they then turned around and introduced me to other investors that are now at the table. And that's just kind of, I think, I think that's how it goes. You meet one person and, they ju and you just build from there. And then it turns into, well, who do you want it? Now I'm starting to say, who do I want at the table, right? Like, are they gonna bring me strategic help? Are they gonna bring me just money? Or are they gonna ask me way too many questions every day? Like, it's just stressing me out. Like, I have to run the business. Um, and now I start to have, I have my own little set of criteria that kind of helps me navigate the kind of investors that I want in visual. The investors that I do have, I, I, I don't think I'm lazy. I think I'm just kind of like, I only want X number of dollars. And the reason why I say that is because I've looked at my cap table and I did the work. Like I, I looked at the spreadsheet and I'm like, yeah, I'm not giving more than X this first, like this first round. So there's only so much money I'm gonna take, you know, and then the next round, you will figure out how we're gonna look. But like, it's been an interesting dialogue with some investors who were like, well, you know, can I, can I give more? And I'm like, well, under these terms. That's a fun conversation to have, you know what I mean? But it's not, that's not, I don't think anybody should ever think that that's always gonna happen. I don't know what everybody, every founder's experience is, but I know that it's, there are certain opportunities that you should definitely take, and then there's certain opportunities that you want and that you're not gonna get, and then there's, you gotta find the middle, and the happy is in the middle, I think, you know? It's, it's I don't know enough about fundraising to be like, you know, some omniscient creature, right. but I do know that it's been an interesting process, you know, where you get nothing. <laughs> you need traction, you need traction, and then all of a sudden you have traction, and they're like, mm, yeah, well, you still need to, now you need to do, you're like, okay. And then you gotta do something else. Yeah, the bar keeps moving. Yeah. You're like, okay. Right. Same way raising the funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, the other thing too is I found that there's not a ton of black investors. Yeah. Um, but then when you meet black investors, we had to give them as much of a, a look, you know, and, and hear investors because we need investors. We need black investors. So we got to make sure that black investors have the companies to invest in. So it goes both ways. It's not just, sometimes I find that That's a lot a of- That's a great point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I find that a lot of founders kind of expect black investors to be all over them. But I was like, you do realize that, A, we have to come to the table with the right product. And then B, they have to be helped as much. You know what I mean? Like black investors, they might be being funded by some other folk. <laughs> it's yeah, not, there's an ecosystem on both sides. So yeah. it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time, especially, you yeah. know, so. Outside of visual, what do you do for your own Kobe time? How do you yeah. get pressed? How do you, or get pressed? Get pressed? Get pressed? <laughs> what's, the word, what's the word? Decompress. How do I decompress? How do you get depressed? How do you decompress? Right. Um, and kind of find that balance of like, because as an entrepreneur, especially as a CEO, it's pretty much all day, every day. You wake yeah. up, and this, is what you're, this is what you do every day. Yeah. Do you have to parse out that time? What I've learned is it's funny because it's not like um, as a founder, even somewhat funded, it's not like you're rolling in dough. <laughs> so taking a massive vacation is just 
irresponsible on a lot of levels. So what you do is like, you know, I have a little boy and he's not doing a fancy sleepaway summer camp. He's like hanging out like a lot of, a lot of like I used to do, you know? And I find that if I can stop my day at 3.30 to go hang out with him for an hour or two, that's a lot of fun for me and it's, it's cool. And come back at six, you know, have dinner and then grind it out again. That's, that's, the, that's how we do. I also find the, you know, value when I'm by myself. Like, so when I'm traveling for business, that little slice when I'm, even though the airport, everybody hates the airport, but that little slice at the airport when no one's around <laughs> and you might be in the air and you can't get an email. Oh my God, it's like great. Can I have a cocktail? You get to be with your own thoughts. And not think about anything, right. you know, it's actually really nice. So anyway, decompressing. And then if I can, whenever I, this is my little quiet thing. I'm only, you guys might be the first people I've ever told this to. Whenever I have a new campaign, I get a new pair of sneakers. Really? So what's it looking like now? Now, now you can. So you know, we got. We, that's my quiet celebration. Okay. And like you know, keeps me fresh. <laughs> I, I feel like you have a pair of off-white Nikes. I, not yet. No, I don't. I don't. But see, here's the thing. I don't like the tags. You don't like the tag? I don't like the tag. Uh, Taking okay. off of it, and the boys, everybody loves it. I guess. I love the Airbax ones with the tag, They're like all white with the orange kind of tag. Fresh. They're fresh, fresh, but what am I supposed to do with the tag? I want to take the tag off. You're not supposed to take the tag off. <laughs> You're not supposed to take the tag off. Oh my God, Virgil would be like an amazing client. Like, wouldn't oh, he get uh, it? I mean, he would. Totally. Well, you just spoke. You just spoke it into the into. The Virgil, 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 <laughs> Virgil <laughs> Abloh. Right, right. I saw him in Soho one day and I was like, Virgil! And you know, he was like, hi. And I was wait, we got something to talk about. We got something to talk about. <laughs> so ridiculous. Please invite us to that. Yeah, right? no, for <laughs> real. For real. So no, that's awesome though. So it's like, you know, so hopefully, you know, in a few years you got hundreds of new Hundreds of sneakers. You guys will come and see my wall of sneakers. Seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So little bits, little bits. Great. Humble. Great. Keep it humble. Great. Well, um, I think I think that's a great place to stop okay. it. Um and uh thank you for sharing your time with us, Kobe. This is great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Bring yourself to New York so we can hang out. Oh, yeah. Visual is a mobile to add <clears throat> today. <clears throat> Take two. And I need to be looking at you. Thanks for kicking it with us this episode. If you want to learn more about New Age Capital, check us out at newage.vc. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel for more dope content.